First Corinthians 15. 15, 1, 5. Wonderful to see some family, friends here. It's wonderful to have my mom here. As I mentioned last week, Easter is, I think, probably my favorite holiday because Easter was the day that my dad became a follower of Jesus. So Easter is a special time for me. Let me pray and we'll get started into the wonderful story of Easter. Father, thank you for the, oh, for music. Thank you for the, the melodies and the harmony and the, the lyrics of the songs that we just sang. And oh, Father, thank you for the hope that we have because of what we're celebrating this weekend the death of Jesus on the cross for our sins and him rising victorious conquering sin and death and anything that would stand in our way to live in vibrant, vigorous, victorious relationship with you. Father, I just give this time to you and I pray that you would refresh and renew and maybe for some bring about for the first time real hope because of understanding what Jesus has done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So just kind of hold on to 1 Corinthians 15. We'll be there in a little bit. If I forget, you can remind me. We'll come back to it. I was on one of my favorite pastimes is when my computer opens up to the Internet, it opens up to Google News. And on Google News, I saw a survey yesterday that last month, uh, Barna Research Institute surveyed uh, a bunch of Americans and found out that less than 50% of Americans surveyed last month, this is a a real survey that happened last month, less than 50% when asked what was important about Easter, answered that it had to do with Jesus' death and resurrection. In the same um, Google News, I also saw that this holiday season, more than $13 billion is going to be spent on food, clothes, candy, and cards by Americans. Now, you think about those two things put together, and you can almost say, well, what's the big deal about Easter then? Because obviously it's not a very big deal to the majority of Americans. So why would we want to take the time to make such a big deal about Easter when it obviously doesn't matter that much? 
Well, it just so happens, and, and what struck me as I was meandering through Google News is that on the same page where that survey was, there were three obituaries of important people who had died. One of them was, and those of you who are older like me might know this person, John Forsythe. Anybody here know who John Forsythe was? The TV series Dynasty. Died at age 92. He was in the height of his career with the TV series Dynasty, nominated six times in a row for the Golden Globe Best Actor Award, and in two of those years won it. Died of pneumonia, age 92. Second person that I read about was H. Edward Roberts. Any geeks know who that might be? H. Edward Roberts. He was Bill Gates' mentor. The inventor of the personal computer. Mentored Paul Allen and Bill Gates. Bill Gates was at his bedside the week he died. Died at age 68, also of pneumonia. The third person was a man by the name of Chris Canyon. Now, some of you who are younger might know who that is, or those of you that ever watched WCW or WWE wrestling. I'm glad to say I don't know. <laughs> Chris Canyon committed suicide. On that same page, I just I looked at those things, the statistics of what is important to Americans this weekend, or the majority of Americans, and then I saw those obituaries, and it struck me again that despite what Americans think is important about Easter, if it weren't for the cross and for the resurrection, those three individuals, and I don't have no idea where those three individuals are, but those three individuals would have no hope. Because... Easter is about hope for the individual who's gasping for their last breath because pneumonia has overtaken their body, that there's hope of eternal life in Christ. Easter is about an individual despairing, overwhelmed by life when it seems that there's hope, that there is hope of real life. In Christ. That's what the cross and Easter is all about. It's about hope for individuals despairing of life and fearing of death. And as I looked at all that yesterday, I thought, no wonder that there is so much fear of death and so much despair in life for those of us who live in the United States of America because Easter has so little significance. I believe that Easter alone offers true hope. The, the true hope that you and I need. True hope that um, even you, if you're sitting here this morning and you felt, oh, man, there's no hope for me. You don't know me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how much I've done. You don't know how horrible the things are that I've done, how hidden they are. The beauty of Easter is there's hope. There's hope for every one of us who are here this morning, those of you who are sitting, and for me who's standing. And what I'd like to share this morning 
is a story of hope. A story of hope, and it's going to be the story of Peter, the disciple Peter. Um, I believe there's no one who had more reason to hope because of the resurrection than anyone else. And so I'd like to kind of, I want you to just kind of sit back and listen because I'm going to tell you a story this morning. And the story is going to be, I'm going to kind of pretend that I'm Peter, okay? Obviously, I didn't, you know, Peter was a big fisherman and I'm a kind of a slight preacher, but I want you to kind of imagine with me as I share the story of Peter, um, what the resurrection meant to him. Before I do that, 1 Corinthians 15, and I'm going to just read three verses, okay? 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 5, just to set the stage and get you thinking about what is so, or what was so important about the resurrection from Peter's standpoint. Paul says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me, that Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried, he was raised from the dead on the third day, as the scripture said, meaning everything that happened to Jesus is exactly what was prophesied would happen and it happened. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve apostles. Jesus died as the scripture said he would die. He was raised as the scripture said he was raised. And then he was seen by Peter. And then by the other 12 disciples. Keeping that in mind, sit back and let's learn from Peter. As I said before, I was a fisherman. I'm Peter. Okay. No, not, not the kind of fisherman that holds one of those skinny poles and throws something at the fish. But a real fisherman. The kind of fisherman that I, Dave Frederick, was for a summer in the San Juan Islands on a gillnet boat. Long nights, cold nights, stormy nights, back-breaking work as you're pulling in that net with the fish on it. Um, stormy seas harsh weather, that was my daily work as a fisherman. It kind of makes you a guy who thinks that you know everything and can do anything. Nothing's too hard for you. A guy that can handle anything that comes his way. But then I met Jesus. Actually, I was introduced to Jesus by my brother Andrew, who was over by the Jordan River listening to uh, John the Baptist preach and baptize sinners. And, and all of a sudden one day Andrew, Andrew came running home and he said, Peter, Peter, we found the Messiah. And I said, okay, okay. And Andrew brought him home and introduced him to me. And when I met him, he wasn't exactly the man's man that I'd expected the Messiah to be the guy that I expected to come in and reel us all in and overthrow the Romans. He was a, a rabbi, a teacher. But he said to me, Peter, Simon, follow me. And I'll make you a fisher of men. And my, the first thing that went through my mind is, what does he know about fishing? 
But I decided to follow him, thinking maybe I could be of some help to him, helping him learn what it meant to fish. Pretty quick, I had to admit that he did some pretty amazing things. I can remember the time when there were the two blind guys on the road. One of them, their names was Bartimaeus. If you remember the story. And they were crying out as we were walking through the town of Bethany. And they were saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And, and he stopped and they came up to him and he said, what do you want? And they said, we want to see. And he touched their eyes and they saw. I remember the time when there were some some friends, four friends of a guy who was paralyzed and, and they wanted so much to help their friend and the crowds were thronging around Jesus and they couldn't get into the house where he was and they actually tore a hole into the roof and they let Jesus down through the roof. I mean, excuse me. They let their paralyzed friend down through the roof right in front of where Jesus was. And he said, amongst other things, get up. Take your, take your bed and walk. And he did. I remember a time when he was walking outside a city called Nain and there was a, a poor widow. She was weeping. Her only son had died. And Jesus stopped the funeral procession and he walked up to the funeral bear, uh, pallet where the, the young man was laying, her only son, and he said, get up. And he did. Alive. I can remember 10 lepers that came up to Jesus and they said, have mercy on us. And he did. And all 10 of them walked away healed. I remember the time when we were in a place called the Gadarenes and, and there's this crazy man who the town, they bound with chains and he'd break the chains. He was absolutely bizarre. He was absolutely crazy. They called him Legion because he was possessed by so many demons, so many evil spirits. And Jesus walked up to him and this guy that was uncontrollable, that was everyone else was terrified of, fell on his face before Jesus and says, what are you here for? And Jesus says, leave. And that legion of evil spirits at his command left. I can remember being with Jesus when he was teaching 5,000 people way out in the wilderness. And, and they'd been there for three days and they were hungry because they were, they'd been without food and because they were just listening to every word that he would speak. And and yet they were hungry and it was time to go and the disciples said, let's get rid of these people and let's find some food for ourselves. And Jesus said to us, myself and the other 11 disciples, you feed them and we had no idea what to do. We found one little boy with five loaves and two fishes and, and Jesus said, tell the crowd to sit down and he took those five loaves and those two fishes and he fed all 5,000 people. And I could go on and on and on remembering the amazing things that Jesus did. But another thing that I began to realize as I watched the amazing things that he did is that he began to say amazing things also. He wasn't the pushover that I initially imagined him to be, me being this big brawny fisherman, him being this 
kind of a small little rabbi. I remember the time he stood up to the Pharisees when we were wandering through the, the fields like the law said we could and we were plucking some grain, but we happened to be doing it on the Sabbath, the Jewish holy day, and the Pharisees and the religious leaders began to criticize us, saying and criticize him, saying, what are you allowing your disciples to do this for? And, and Jesus said to them, standing up to them, if only you knew what the Old Testament meant when it says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And he said other things like, I'm the Son of Man, and, and he claimed to be the I Am. Even existing before Abraham was born, I remember the time, it's probably my favorite time being who I am, when he walked into the temple on a particular feast day, and the people, the religious leaders, were having a heyday inside the temple courts selling sheep and doves and goats. And I have never seen Jesus so angry all, all of my life as he, as he wove together a rope and walked into that temple court and he kicked over the tables and he drove out the people who were buying and selling in the temple. He was the pushover. I remember him one time forgiving sins. I remember him one time when the Pharisees thought that they had him worked into a corner as they caught a woman caught in adultery and they said what do we do? They thought they had him in a corner and either he was going to deny that adultery was bad and, and let her go or, or he was going to not be this compassionate, nice guy that everybody thought he was. And what did he do? He spoke looking right those religious leaders in the eyes and says, the one of you that is without sin cast the first stone. And I watched them all slink away, knowing that they were just as much sinners as she was. As I watched Jesus and I listened to Jesus, it was actually me, little by little, month by month by month, who ended up being less than I thought I myself really was. Oh, I tell you, I mean, I was still Peter the fisherman and I could still talk, but it ended up being not much more than talk. Let me give you a few examples that I hope will help you to understand much better what the resurrection really means to me. The first one was we were out on a boat, storm came up, the waves were horrible. Jesus was out in the mountain praying, but then he starts walking. All of a sudden we realize, and we thought it was a ghost, and then he walks up and we realize it's Jesus. And, and me and my boldness says, Jesus, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Sounded pretty tough, didn't it? And he said, come. And I did. I climbed out of the boat, and I stood on the water, and I actually started walking towards Jesus. But then I... I realized I wasn't so tough as I thought and I looked at the huge waves and, and I began to doubt and I started to sink and I cried out, Lord, help me! And he reached out his hand and helped me. 
you know, the guy that I thought I was going to help out. Another time I remember is when Jesus got us all together, disciples, and he said, who do people say that I am? And we said, well, you know, some say you're the prophet, and some say you're Elijah, and others say you're Jeremiah. And, other... and then he asked us, but who do you think I am? And I, you know, being the spokesman, and if in doubt, put your foot in your mouth, said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And he looked at me and said, Peter, you don't even know what you're saying. It was my father who gave you those words. And they're true words. Because it was only just a couple of days later that when Jesus was reminding us again that what this was about was that we were heading to Jerusalem and he was going to die and be buried and rise again, I looked him right in the face and you know what I said? Two days after I said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, I looked him in the face and I said, that'll never happen to you. I mean, I called him a liar. I said, you, you're not going to die. That'll never happen to you. And you know what he did to me? He looked me back in the face and he said, get behind me, Satan. Because those words, the, out of the same mouth, the words that God gave me to say, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, it's like I allowed that same mouth to be a vehicle for the, the devil to say, you will never die, the very reason he came. It was just a little bit after that that Jesus specially invited myself and James and John up onto a mountain and he revealed himself to the three of us in all of his glory. It's the most amazing thing I've ever experienced. And there on the mountain, Jesus, he shone brighter than I've ever seen any brightness ever in my life. And, and I didn't know what to say. But I, but I had to say something. So I said, God, this is, this is good. This is good we're here. So why don't I pitch some tents for us so we can hang out here for a while longer? And in the midst of my blubbering, this voice came out of heaven, the voice of the Father saying, this is my son. Listen to him. And I understood God's mercy for the first time that day when he should have said, shut your big mouth, Peter. <laughs> but he said, this is my son. Listen to him. And then just before he died, I remember the time when there were 24 really dirty feet. It was the last night that we were with Jesus and the 12 of us disciples were too proud to wash anybody else's feet. And there was no servant available who usually did the job. And so Jesus got down, took off his robe, took a towel and a basin and proceeded to wash our feet. Well, of course I had to say something. So when he came to my feet, I said, you're never going to wash my feet. And Jesus calmly said, then you will never have any part of me. And so I said, well, then wash my whole body. And he said, that's not necessary. Your feet is enough. Well, you know, if it was just all those stupid little scenarios where I opened my big mouth, it might not have mattered as much as the last thing that I'm going to share with you. 
was after the time when he washed our feet and he put back on his robe and we sat down to eat the Last Supper that Jesus said, you know, all of you are going to fall away tonight because of me. Every one of you who I call my closest friends on this night of my darkest, deepest pain, every one of you is going to abandon me. Every one of you is going to run away when I need you the most. Well, you know, I I I couldn't listen to that. So I said, Jesus, I will never deny you. I don't care if all the rest of these lousy blokes deny you. I will not. You know me. Well, he wouldn't say that. I will never deny you. And he repeated again and he said, Peter, before the rooster crows tonight, you will deny me. You will deny that you ever knew me three times. And of course, I strongly denied it. Well, it didn't take long for his words to hit home because as we left the Last Supper and came to the Garden of Gethsemane where Judas was about ready to bring a mob and turn Jesus over to the authorities. Again, Jesus asked James and John and myself to come along, just come aside with him to a part of the garden while he prayed. And it was obvious that he was in horrible agony. In fact, At times, it looked like his sweat was like drops of blood as he prayed. But you know, I only know this because he told me it after the fact. Because while he was in such agony, about ready to face the pain of flogging and mocking and rejection and the cross, you know what I was doing? I was sleeping. I was sleeping oblivious to his pain, oblivious to what he was about ready to go through. I was sleeping and three times he came back to me. Three times he came back to James and John and myself and he said, why are you sleeping? Get up, be alert, be watching, be praying. The spirit is willing but the flesh is weak and three times we went back to sleep in the midst of his deepest agony and pain. Well, then Judas arrived with the mob and they immediately took Jesus to Caiaphas, the chief priest's house, to be tried. And and myself and the other ten disciples made a hasty retreat, didn't want to be arrested ourselves. But I kind of followed behind and, and came to the house and I entered the courtyard where Jesus was being tried. I could see him there. And when I was standing there, my luck... One of these little servant girls came up to me and said, didn't I see you just a little bit ago in the garden when we arrested him? And I said, no, you got the wrong guy. It even crossed my mind what I was saying, just protected myself. You got the wrong guy. And then, and then another one of her friends came up and said, I'm sure you were there. I saw you. And so... I was a little bit stronger. You don't know what you're talking about. I have never seen the guy before. And then, so I kind of moved away to get away from those girls. And one of the servants of the high priest that was there that night also in the garden 
pointed his finger right at me and says, you are, I can tell by the way you talk, you're a Galilean, you were there. And I became, I began to curse and to cuss and in every way I could think of to protect myself, deny that I ever knew him. And at that moment, Jesus turned and he looked at me and the rooster crowed. And I don't think I have ever wept or that I could ever weep like I wept that night. I knew it was over. I knew that for me it was over. I had just rejected and denied and declared that I never knew the one who was my best friend. The one who had healed the lame and the blind and the deaf and the lepers who had driven out demons, who had forgiven adulterous women and traitorous Jewish Roman tax collectors. The one who I had declared and I knew to be the Son of God, the the Messiah. I had lost out on the most important relationship that I could ever have. I knew then and there that even if he was who he claimed to be and who I knew him to be, that for me it didn't matter. It was over. Even if he was the Lamb of God who came away, came to take away the sin of the world, even if he were to rise again like he said he would, it would not matter for me. I had denied him. For me it was over. Have any of you ever felt that way? It's over for me. I, you, I have sinned too much, too great, too many times. I've done too much wrong. It's over. There's no hope for me. Well, it was almost with dread that I anticipated the possibility of the resurrection. Think about it. To be on the outside, rejected and alienated by the one who had come to mean so much to me and yet whom I had denied that I ever knew. Well, the third day after his death, the word began to spread that he was indeed risen. I heard the ladies come in the house where we were hiding and they were shouting, it's true, it's true, he's alive. And and I, I dreaded what that and might be and he especially wanted us to tell Peter my mind began racing I was confused I thought, and he especially wanted us to tell Peter was he rubbing salt in his wo- in my wounds was he ridiculing the despair and hopelessness that I was to live out my days with I began running towards the tomb And as I rounded the corner where the tomb was, I was met with an embrace the likes of which I will never forget. Simon, master. And I wept like I thought I would never weep again. That's what the resurrection means to me. Forgiveness when no forgiveness is deserved. Hope. The ability to hope again 
and again and again. Because when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. I have paid for your sins in full. He meant it, and the Father accepted it, and I know it because he personally appeared, deliberately appeared to me. If you're here this morning without hope, maybe despairing like a Chris Canyon who committed suicide, despairing of life, or maybe you're an individual who's here this morning fearing what death might bring, please consider my testimony. There is hope because of the resurrection. Forgiveness of sins, victory over despair, life after death. That's what Easter's all about. And it's for every one of us who are here this morning. Every one of you are here, who are here this morning. It's for you. I don't care what you've done, who you are, how bad you've done. This morning, hope is available to you because of what Jesus did on the cross and the resurrection. Let's pray. Father, what amazing, great love you have poured on us in your Son Jesus that we can be called children of God. Your children, brothers of Jesus, because Jesus has paid it all. All to him we owe. Father, thank you. Jesus, thank you. Amen.